Well, hello, everyone. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Welcome to our podcast. It's one in the series on diversity, equity, and inclusion. I have a special guest today who I'm really happy to introduce. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, I should mention that the Diversity Dimension podcast series is brought to you by the Graduate Management Admission Council and is created in collaboration with Poets and Quants with support from our academic colleagues and industry partners. The Diversity Dimension is a six episode podcast series that explores critical themes shaping diversity, equity, and inclusion in graduate management education today. And let me get to my guest. Uh, We're gonna talk about women in business. And we have, to my mind, the greatest single advocate on the planet Earth for women in graduate management education, Alyssa Sangster, the CEO of Forte Foundation. Those of you who are not familiar with Forte, if you are a woman, you need to be very familiar with Forte. They can help you navigate your journey to business school in the most effective way. They're great supporters of uh, diversity and have been for a long time. Alyssa has been the CEO of Forte for 19 years, and uh, she actually has an MBA from Texas A&M. And before she took the job at Forte, she was director of the MBA program at the Macomb School of Business at UT Austin. So Alyssa, in the 19 years that you've been CEO of Forte, women have made a lot of progress in MBA programs. Look back at the time and tell me a little bit about how you think those strides have been made. Sure. Happy to happy to talk about this. And I think, you know, it's it's always nice to start out with where we were back in 2000 when there was a catalyst study that was looking at why more women weren't in business school and in business leadership. And what they found were these kind of four areas. You know, one was that when they looked around and saw women in leadership in their own organizations, they weren't sure there was anyone to emulate. When they um, talked about what their next step was career-wise, there weren't a lot of people telling them to think about business careers or business school as a pathway um, and a next step. They were worried about whether they were quantitatively ready And they also were concerned about alignment. So when they thought about what a business career looked like, they thought about Wall Street. And that was the only real tangible example they had. And it didn't seem like what they wanted to do. And so the pathway was short, small, narrow, however you want to describe it. And so where I feel like we have made progress over this 20 years is that we've seen you know, the, the the most important metric is the number of women enrolled in graduate management education and in MBA programs. One of those key pathways to leadership is those uh, full-time MBA programs. And so our partners have gone from what 20 years ago was around 25, 27%, some as low as 18% women, to now on average, 41.4% are uh, women enrolled in these programs. So that's marked improvement um, over these years. That's a dramatic improvement. And as we know, at some schools, they've actually reached full gender parity. There are few schools, not many, but I do know that the ambition for most admission directors is, is to reach gender parity. And I, and I wonder for those of you out there who are not familiar with the role that Forte Foundation plays, Alyssa, can you, you explain how 
Forte kind of holds the hands and pats the back and uh, and and gets uh, you know people on their way to graduate management education. Sure. So you know when we first started, we were really looking at that initial pathway into business school, and so one of the things that was holding women back was not having access to or taking advantage of conversations to talk with admissions directors or school representatives. And so we created a series of forums where we ran around the country and also to Toronto and London and talked about what does business school look like? We had alums who shared their stories. We had admissions reps who explained the whole process and really demystifying the MBA application process, but also really helping them understand the value of that MBA and the ROI that would be theirs if they chose that career path. But that that was the first baby step. And then there were so many other things as we peeled back that onion, the layers of that onion. There were women telling us that they started thinking about business school, but they decided to drop out after six months because they got tired of studying for the GMAT or they didn't know who to ask to write recommendation letters. And so we created this program MBA launch that not only helps grow the number of women applying because it keeps them focused and on that path, but it also helps them to fine tune their application and to make sure they've studied for the GMAT and taken it again if they haven't scored well enough. And it gives them this community of women, like-minded women who are pursuing that same goal. And so that helps keep women focused and moving in the right direction in terms of enrollment. But then we also realized you can't really expect women a year or two years out to be um, just, you know, waiting for an email from Forte to pop into their box. We have to go into the college and university space and really help them understand that value prop of the MBA as well. And to connect with them when they're on those campuses so that we can build a broader pipeline funnel, you know, wider funnel into this MBA process. And so we, we've we stepped into the college space and we do a lot of programming there. But then on the back end, there's also more to do as women go through their MBA program and we connect with all of our 65 partner schools to, to really help uh, women as they're um, getting their MBA to meet employers, to explore careers. And then once they graduate from that MBA to really think about how do they professionally develop? How do they make sure they... Uh, are promoted um, at the same rate as their male counterparts? Are they negotiating those salaries? Are they taking those plum assignments? What are the things they're doing to keep themselves in a line role and focused and going toward that C-suite? So all of those really kind of fall into the programmatic aspects of what Forte does. And as you mentioned, there's been real progress in enrolling more women in MBA programs. What about the inclusion part? I know that in the early days, many women would show up on a business school campus and most of the faculty were men and the vast majority of the students were male and the case studies were filled with protagonists who were largely male and white. And in some cases, uh, you know, the story at Harvard was that women, when they raised their hand to make a comment, want to make a more thoughtful comment 
And therefore, we're called on less than the men who, frankly, wanted nothing more than airtime. And Harvard actually had to create kind of introductory seminars to encourage women to be more aggressive in class and things like this. Well, what's your sense of of the inclusion piece of this? It's a really good topic to explore. And, and I'll, I'll start it with saying, you know, we talked about the enrollments of women, but when you when you look into the breakdown of that and you think about underrepresented students and in particular women, I think they would say they still feel like their voice is not being heard or represented in the classroom. And we've not had a lot of real transparency around the breakdown of those numbers so that we can track how our in particular, Black women represented in business school, Hispanic women represented in business school. And what has anybody been looking at that number specifically across schools? It's not something that schools really report out on. We've asked our schools um, to start giving us insight there. You know, and, and of course, in aggregate, I can say that it's about two to three percent of an MBA class and the population for Black women and the population the number of Black women in the population is something more around 14%. And so you can see there's still a great, uh, you know, much improvement that we could make just to have those voices reflected in the classroom. But I would say also, you know, back to, you know, what happens. So you're right. We've seen now some schools where 45, 50%, the women are enrolled. And I think the schools have had to do a little catch up in terms of the inclusivity of that classroom experience. And the female protagonist in those case studies, one thing that we've done, and I know Harvard has also been working on this with their case studies, is how to create more of those, the more of those cases so that faculty can use them in the classroom. And you can see a more of a balance in terms of who is put in front of all of our students. And I think we're doing just as much of a disservice to the men as we are to the women if we're not accurately reflecting the different leadership styles that men and women have in representing um, different ethnicities and how they approach problems and how they solve those problems. And so I think many of our schools have been looking at, you know, have we balanced our our, um, cases and have we thought about who do we have as speakers in the classroom? Are we reflecting who our students are and are they seeing themselves in those speakers, in the faculty that are teaching them? And making sure that, um, you know, the students do feel a connection. It's just as important to them to feel like they belong as it is to get admitted. So true. And it's hard, very hard to measure it. I know, you know, years ago when the women's group at Harvard Business School did the survey, which showed that a disproportionate share of the honors awards were going to men and then asked the question, how come? It led to some significant changes and that really fixed it. Also at Michigan Ross, I know that the majority of leadership positions of of student clubs and organizations at the MBA level are now led by women. So it's these um, sort of advances that will really ultimately make a difference in terms of making sure that people feel that their opinions are as respected and taken into account as any anyone else in the class and that they have the opportunities to to flex their leadership muscle uh, muscles in a, in a business school environment i wonder how how would you say that women's journeys differ from each other what are the different career paths that women have taken by basically 
uh, taking advantage of an MBA education? Well, I, I, I think that uh, women are fairly similar in the path they step out and take right at graduation. So I think you could look across most MBA class profiles at you know their career their career profiles, and they're going to be in consulting and finance, technology, CPG, and depending on the particular campus you choose, the balance between those four might look a little bit different. But what you might, at least in terms of industry, but what you might see happen is the type of company that a woman chooses versus a man. A man may try to go to the top consulting firm and a woman might choose the boutique consulting firm. And at graduation, you might see a little bit of that happening. But as they progress in their careers, you can see a different mix and you can see women making choices or perhaps being forced to make a choice when something doesn't work out the way they wanted to. They got a manager that didn't sponsor them and didn't um, pull them up in the organization. Um, There's a lot of things that happen, um, at least in our research that we've seen, that drive salary gap and drive a difference in the number of reports that they have, the number of promotions they've received after their MBA. So I think there's still a lot of of pulling and tugging on those career paths, and women um, are still not advancing at the same rate that their male counterparts, even after that MBA. Yeah, that's interesting. I wonder to what extent the demands of some employers, particularly in investment banking or in consulting, where you know travel uh, is a significant factor in consulting, where you're often on the road for four days a week, every single week, or in investment banking, where you're, you're working 60 to 80 hours a week. You know, <laughs> those kinds of grinding work schedules uh, often don't uh, aren't compatible for many uh, young people, frankly, whether they're male or female. But especially if you're female and you know you're thinking in terms of someday I want to have a family, someday I want to have you know a partner who I can rely on and and pull equal weight with. In some in some cases, the employers make it more difficult as well, don't they? They do. And it's it's been interesting, you know, to see as we come out of the pandemic, how things have shifted and changed and how this generation that's entering the workforce, how they uh, value all of those things. And so, you know, we can sit here with 30 years of experience behind us and kind of, uh, <laughs> you know, what, what would have could have uh, happened. Um, but I think it's interesting to see that uh, I think men value that flexibility as well. I think we see women value it just a little bit more. Um, I think they're kind of more comfortable with flexible arrangements. Men are more comfortable being in the office if we're going to generalize, but all of them really want some hybrid. And I think employers who can create a place for both men and women to succeed and have options, um, that's going to be the employer that's going to ultimately win. Um, I think you're right. Women go through a lot of stages in terms of uh, how they manage that uh, work-life balance and and just getting through that. That's also kind of a recommendation to employers is to think long and hard about how you provide those flexible work opportunities when there are these demands, societal demands um, that are meeting half of your workforce that the other half is not necessarily having to confront. So I think I, I do think men want flexibility. I think women want it too. Um, and I think the employer that 
can give it to both of them is the one that's going to come out ahead. And while we've seen progress at the business school level, not only with enrollment, but even, in, in fact, you know, the funneling of, of greater scholarship support mm-hmm. and the welcoming of women in leadership positions in clubs and organizations and, and male faculty being more cognizant of the fact that they need to call on everybody in class, not just the people who are constantly raising their hands. <laughs> uh, how have companies responded? In other words, our, you know, we, we, we talked about the input side so far, but what about the output side? Do, do you find that companies are more receptive and more welcoming and really working hard to recruit more women into their ranks? I, I do. I think our our uh, corporate partners are very much committed to this, and you know our our number of corporate partners has grown significantly since the pandemic, probably 40 percent up in terms of partnerships. Wow. And a lot of that is because companies are seeking partners who can help them build better workplaces, identify talent tell their stories in a better way that's more connected to what women um, are interested in hearing about their career opportunities. I think companies are trying, but I think there's probably still a lot to be done in that space. And, you know, you see the McKinsey data, the broken rung where women um, almost immediately, that first managerial position, they are behind in terms of promotion. There was a recent study that just came out that was looking, uh, asking young women and men and about their earnings after um, university and the women only expected $6,000, they expected $6,000 less than their male counterparts. And that was just their expectation. That wasn't the reality. And so I think almost immediately, you know, they're already expecting lower salaries. They're walking into these companies and they're not getting promoted as quickly, which means less money, less direct reports, you know, behind moving into those next positions. I think there's something there that companies need to think long and hard about. How do you make sure that we solve that progression? That is not about I'm ready to have children. I'm making a, a choice about kids. Not not four years after undergrad, you're not seeing a mass exodus. So what is it that's happening there? And I think there's systemic issues that need to be addressed. And so companies are trying, but I don't know that there's really a silver bullet just yet. I know that during the course that you've been CEO, there was one period of time when we interviewed you and uh, and you were less enthusiastic about the progress that had been made. There was sort of a flattening for a little while. That's changed dramatically. But I wonder, looking ahead, how optimistic are you for you know further gains and progress? Because after all, progress at this level is, you're right, it's feeding the pipeline of future leadership in not only companies, but organizations worldwide. Well, I will say, you know, back then, yes, I think we were seeing some flattening and then we started seeing some real growth and we started seeing a lot of stories emerge in the media, but really reflecting what's happening out there in the world today. And there was more focus and there was intentionality and companies realized they had something they needed to be doing and schools realized it. And there was accountability for things that were being done incorrectly. And, you know, we had a bit of a reckoning and that all happened happened kind of pre-pandemic and then we moved into pandemic and we had to embrace 
flexible work arrangements. And we had to kind of ask ourselves the question, you know, is it possible to still be successful and be working from home? And lots of um, lots of questions, lots of things still to work out. I am hopeful for the future. And I do think um, this MBA pathway is critical. We, we know that 40, 45% of the women CEOs in the S&P 500 have an MBA or some kind of equivalent advanced graduate management education degree. And that is a huge pathway into those C-suite positions. Um, there's no other pathway that represents 40, 45% of the women. And that's, that also plays out for the men too. So an MBA we know is a powerful tool to get you where you want to go into that kind of top position. So I'm, I'm very hopeful about that. I think an MBA still has a bright future. And I think women in those leadership roles equipped with an MBA are also um, going to find success. I think that that's uh, what your message is really great. And I just want you to tell people who are you know starting early on this journey, women, how to best engage with Forte. I think that, uh, well, the first thing to do is just go to the website and sign up. All we need is an email where we can reach you with all of our great content and invitations to our events and access to our community. So that's the first place to start. But I would encourage them as a second step to immediately find a place where they can plug in and come to a live event, see what's really happening with Forte, because I think that will really solidify the relationship even faster. Totally. And everyone out there, really, you know, you should uh, take advantage of all the tools and events and help that Forte can provide. I've been a real champion. And, you know, if you're going to navigate this journey, it can sometimes be a frustrating journey because, you know, these schools at the top are very highly selective. And in many cases, I'm going to just say it's men often still have advantages that women may not because more women are likely to be non-traditional MBA applicants than men. Uh, And more women are likely to come from career paths that are not necessarily uh, natural pipelines to graduate management education. So this is why Forte is so important in the journey to business school. Alyssa, uh, thank you. It's great to catch up with you. And, you know, congratulations again on the progress that has been made. You have a lot to be proud of. Thank you so much, John. All right. This is John Burma Poets and Quants. This podcast is brought to you by the Graduate Management Admission Council. GMAC is an advocate working in partnership with the greater community to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion in graduate management education. Our vision is a world where every talented person can discover and benefit from the best business education for them. Learn more at MBA.com. Thanks for listening.